Hi, I am Simon Jacobson, and I am pleased to present a special pre-Shavuos class and Yisker program. Bring Sinai home. We are all challenged today, whether we're in total quarantine or on our way out or somewhere in between, we have been taken out of our comfort zones, to put it mildly. And you really can tell the true nature and behavior of an entity, any entity, including human beings, when it's taken out of its natural habitat. This case, it may not be natural, natural, but it's natural as far as our routines go. So as we approach the holiday of Shavuot, which is the holiday that follows 50 days after Passover, that honors and celebrates the receiving of the mandate, the divine mandate, the blueprint for life. I want to address it specifically as it's relevant to our time. Many of us who've lost loved ones say Yisker, the prayer, the prayer, the Yisker prayer on the second day of Shavuot this year will be on Saturday, on Shabbat, this coming Shabbat. Many will not be able to go to synagogue or in very limited fashion. So we decided to incorporate that into a program and to honor the loved ones whose souls are with us, but our bodies, the bodies are not. Bring Sinai home. There's a, uh, a classic question that's asked. Sometimes it's put in poetic terms. The romantics ask it. Thinkers, philosophers. Where does heaven meet earth? When you look with the naked eye at the horizon, it appears there's a point where heaven meets earth. There's the famous parable where somebody was out to find where do they meet and began a journey and traveling and traveling, following the horizon. You see the sun setting, for example, over the water. So it feels like the sky is meeting the, the, the ground. Obviously, his journey never came to an end. He kept searching and searching and never found the place where they meet because the further he went, it continued to elude him, this traveler. Now, I'm not discussing now the primitive view about the earth being flat or the earth being round. So obviously, the more you travel, you just it appears that they meet, but they actually meet. I mean it also in the larger sense of the word. Can we kiss heaven? Can heaven come down to earth? In the figurative sense, in the figurative sense. Because if we define our lives by the definition called survival, where the driving force is to survive, to eat, to drink, to sleep, to do whatever it takes to make sure that we survive. Now survival could also be in a way where you, you have abundance and wealth, but it's still survival mode. And the question is, how high and how far do human beings want to reach and how far can they reach? Now, some people are natural seekers and they look, they look for the transcendent. I would submit that all human beings have a transcendent side. What would we be like if we just were in survival mode? Meaning that all we had was fulfilling our physical material needs. The fact is human beings need some form of transcendence. It takes on different shapes. It can come through music and art and travel. It could come from faith, religion, and spirituality. It can come from other, uh, other means of entertainment. Something that relieves us from the boredom, from the doldrums of our routines and our patterns. We are not like the other creatures on earth that can go through their clockwork without any escape without any relief. Just as the sun rises and sets every morning and evening, the animals in the wild, in the natural world, go through their motions, each according, predictable, exactly according to plan and design. Humans are the only entity on earth that are restless, that we're always looking for something more. We're not satisfied with just yesterday's routine. We can get trapped in routines, but then that also impacts us. 
Now, how we relieve or how do we satisfy that need for transcendence for each person is very different. We've talked about in previous programs how people turn sometimes to destructive means, different addictions, all meant to relieve us of the, those vicissitudes, of those blues that we go through. And of course, there are the healthy ways. What happened 3,332 years ago, exactly that amount of time, at Sinai, at Mount Sinai, in the Sinai Desert, when the Jewish people left Egypt, as related in the Bible, and 50 days later they arrived at Mount Sinai, a little less than 50 days. 50 days later they received what was called the Torah. That became a blueprint not just for the Jewish people. Most of the world follows its basic principles, the principles of ethics and morality and charity and virtue and kindness and humanitarianism. So when we honor the anniversary of 3,332 years, what is the significance? Why is Sinai still relevant? Because Sinai in one, one expression, one sentence, captures the essence of the human spirit's seeking purpose, meaning, and transcendence in life. Sinai answers the question where heaven meets earth. Sinai answers the question, how do we live lives that are not just coming, leaving this world the way we came in, improving it, transforming it, refining the universe, turning it into a far better place. All that was the purpose of the Sinai revelation over three millennia ago. And it's relevant to each one of us, whether one calls themselves a believer or non-believer or agnostic or something in between, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, no faith, other faiths, other belief systems, schools of thought. Sinai is a universal event and relevant today more than ever because it provides us with a blueprint, with a methodology, how to make sense of life and how to reach to the sky, to heaven and beyond and bring it back down to earth into a full integrated fusion between matter and spirit. Because at the end of the day, we human beings and everything on this earth is made up of two dimensions. Generally speaking, matter and spirit. Matter and energy, if you want to use more scientific language. When in truth, they really are, as Einstein showed them, E equals mc squared in the most famous formula of all, that energy and matter are reversible. However, it doesn't seem that way ostensibly. So I don't know if Einstein got it from Sinai. He definitely had those genes, but at least unconsciously. Sinai is exactly the point of it, was to teach us that this material world, for all its static state, maybe that's not the right word, I wouldn't say static, I would say for all its inanimate, its almost coarse, raw materialism, is brimming with pulsating energy waiting to be released. And you can transform the material world into a spiritual oasis, into a spiritual garden, into a divine home. Now that's not a small matter. It affects everything we do, from how we eat a meal, how we take a drink, how we interact, our work, our families, our homes, Throughout the day, we may not give it much thought, but if you think of the overarching objective of life, you can say it's to make money, to be happy. But at the end of the day, you have to get to something higher and greater. The answer is, is to transform your corner of the world and turn it into a sacred, into a spiritual, into a beautiful environment. And that's only possible when we relieve the tension between matter and spirit, to matter and energy, by converting, by transforming matter into energy. That's, in a nutshell, the story of Sinai. To put it in the words of the sages, they say before Sinai, though human beings had spiritual yearnings and transcendent aspirations, but it was not possible. There was an invisible schism. I could think of it like a glass ceiling that did not allow 
heaven and earth to join together. That did not allow matter and spirit to become one. They could interact, but to transform a physical part of this universe, your table, your chair, your piece of food, into spiritual energy, that was not possible. At Sinai, that schism was bridged. And a new fusion entered into existence, the ability to experience true unity, true fusion, not duality, that we have a spiritual part of our lives and a material part of our lives. So let's put it into a personal context. If you were to look at your life, most of our time, and today in the, in the age of quarantine and the age of corona, there have been shifts, of, obviously, and we're thinking about it some more. But even, even now, you can divide life into two parts. I mentioned survival and transcendence. Survival are the things you do, in most cases, most of the day, most of the time, that are necessary. You need to eat. You need to prepare a meal. You need to drink. You need to sleep. Sleep, if it's seven, eight hours a day, a night, it's a third of our lives. We have other needs. We need shelter. We need clothing. We need to provide for our families. We have many needs. These are in the survival element. But there's something missing, as I mentioned, transcendence. And transcendence comes in many different ways. What do we do about the conflict between the two? That often the monotony of our routines really cause us a lot of frustration. And we need transcendence, but there's no time for both. We're either busy at work or busy with our families or other expectations and responsibilities. I'm not even mentioning the demons and the shadows in our lives, the fears and uncertainties, the neurosis that haunts us and often holds us trapped, holds us hostage. You add that into the equation, where's there room for the free spirit to soar? So what most of us do in, in answering this question, we find escape outlets. And I'm using that word intentionally. Escape doesn't mean necessarily always running, but it's, it's like an outlet. Weekends, evenings, vacation time. We end up compartmentalizing where our material survival needs predominate and the rest we find time, we carve out time. Sometimes more, sometimes less. Sometimes healthy, sometimes not healthy. Is it possible to bring it all together? So if you look at different schools of thought, some will say, you want to be a spiritual person? No, by all means. An ascetic lifestyle. Go find yourself some mountain in the Himalayas. Seclude yourself. Or at least separate yourself from the material roller coaster of life and the rush hours. Meditate, contemplate, find inner peace. You don't want to go to the Himalayas. Some people do it in nature. There are many people today considering that anew. It's a way like a certain tranquility, serenity, without all the pressures. But to live in a world of pressure and to have that type of spiritual balance, that type of spiritual um, tranquility? No. Then there's a second approach. Live in the material world, work well, be industrious, make money. We'll call it the based on the Calvinesque Protestant work ethic. And be ethical, be righteous, be virtuous, be charitable. But you're living in the material world and you're not climbing any mountains. Maybe once in a while, or maybe some individuals can do that. So that's a life that's primarily around survival, but makes survival more than survival. So I elevate it through virtue, through charity, through volunteering through prayer, through faith. The problem with both these approaches, though they work for many people, is they don't ultimately resolve the real tension because you've compartmentalized to some extent. One has become a little more, a more sublime, soulful experience with a minimum interaction and engagement with the material world. And the other is more engagement with the material and the spiritual is somewhat limited can you have the best of both worlds? Sinai's answer is absolutely yes, you can.
But we need to understand that there's a third way of looking at everything. You need the third path. And that's why it happens in the third month. In the Hebrew third month, as the, the Torah, the Bible tells us, in the third month is the story of Sinai. And what is the story? What's the number three? Number three bring, introduces a third dimension. Number one is where each one is in its own place. So actually you have like two, two different realities. Number three comes you introduce a third dimension that can reconcile. I would say more than reconcile. That can actually discover something deeper where matter and spirit both contribute equally to a higher consciousness. Now it seems contradictory because most of us think of life in that dual sense. You're either dealing with matter or you're dealing with spirit, with matter or with energy. You're either a materialistic person, could be righteous and virtuous, but you live a person of this world, or a spiritual person, a person of another reality. See, here we introduce a third dimension. It's neither matter nor spirit. So you talk about the divine, the way the Kabbalists, the mystics, Hasidic masters explain it, the divine is neither matter nor spirit. The divine is, source for, is the source for both. Neither finite or infinite. The source for both. So there is a third state that may sound paradoxical initially, but there are no paradoxes there. Where you can have one track called finite, one called track infinite, both coming from one single source, two tracks, just like we human beings. You're from your essential personality. You can have different ways of expressing yourself. You can express yourself sometimes in a very loud and a very pronounced way, or you can express yourself in a very subtle, quiet way. Same person. So the divine can express itself in both ways, and as this number three, it joins them both together. This is why the Ten Commandments, which happen at Sinai, begins with the three words. In Hebrew, Anoichi Hashem Elokecha. I, the God, your God. God, your Lord. In English, when you read it, it sounds redundant. I, why do you need to say anything else? I took you out of Egypt. He says, no, I, the God, your Lord. God and Lord, aren't they synonymous? So just for language purposes, we just use one God. They reflect three dimensions. Let's go from the bottom up. Elokecha, in the Hebrew word Elokim, is the gematria, the numerical equivalent of the nature, of nature, hateva, nature. It's the divine presence, it's the divine energy, the spiritual energy within existence, which is remarkable. Every leaf, every fiber, every bird, every species reflects a deeper, beautiful, elegant, divine majesty. Energy. Like a musical note, giving off its beautiful sound. Then there's the divine energy that is transcendent, beyond existence. It hovers, it transcends. It's not the sum of the parts. Not just pantheism. God is nature, nature is God. Something beyond. Which is necessary, the mystique. The mystique of the elusive beyond. But then you can stop right there and say that. So now comes Anoichi, the third dimension that says both of those are very beautiful experiences. But there's a third dimension that is neither matter or spirit. And that you experience when you surrender, when you suspend yourself to experience something completely beyond. You'll say, well, that sounds like transcendence. Transcendence, my friends can still be self-oriented. You find people that are spiritually arrogant. And they say, look at me compared to these materialistic people. Spirituality is not an assurance of utter selflessness. It's a step toward that. And healthy spirituality should lead to that. But this third dimension is essentially allowing yourself to dissolve with awe in a higher reality. Transcendence is a step toward there. Nature and the, and the world of material 
There, you're focusing on the structure of existence, the structure of your life. And yet you're discovering this special energy, the beautiful energy within. So it's not a selfish life. It's a life directed, but it's seen through the lens of the art of this universe. But what is the artist like? Come step two, transcendence, to realize, one second, the artist, the producer, the creator is beyond the art. The composer is beyond the music. But then you're left with this duality. Is the creator, the producer, the composer beyond or within? And the answer is both because there's a third dimension. And when you reach that, there's a type of being in the zone. There's not even a sense. It's like transcending the transcendent. And you don't even feel it. You're so immersed in it. You're so absorbed, so engulfed. It's like a fish in water. If you ask the fish, do you feel that you're wet? Does water get wet? Does a fish get wet? A dry entity gets wet because it's a defined state. Here you become completely immersed. The taste of it is when we feel completely where we belong and the subject and the object melt into each other. Sinai. That was the event of Sinai. Now imagine if you could hold on to that. Do you think it makes a difference whether you're at home, in the street, or in a synagogue? Of course we'd love to have our social circles. Of course we'd like to have that interaction not be disrupted. But when you think about it, what you're doing is realizing the true essence of what this experience is like. This experience you can have right here in your heart and soul, right in your home, with your family or with yourself. Is it easier with others? Of course it's easier. It's easier to carry a heavy weight with more people than one. But in a time like this, when we are compelled to limit our movements and our interactions, whatever those limits are, wherever you may be, then we come to realize, one second, you have not lost yourself. You can find yourself in the process. Sinai is a challenge to each of us to find ourselves. And yes, getting out of your comfort zone. Listen to this now. Where did it take place, this, this great event, which has become famous, especially in Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments? But it's famous before that. The best-selling book in all history is the Bible. And the central event in the Bible is the, the revelation at Sinai. Where did it take place? In a desert. In a wilderness. Which seems very strange. The Torah, the Bible, the divine mandate, is a gift. It's described by the sages as God's hidden treasure. So you would think, if you wanted to give someone a gift, once in history gift, what would you do? You'd invite them to a beautiful venue, beautiful location. I don't want to say restaurants today because that may not be an option. But something beautiful and say, here's a beautiful gift, a birthday gift, or just an expression of love. Of all places, God leads the people into a desert, a hot, arid, hostile environment where people do not live. There have been so many cities, beautiful cities. Not Alexandria, fine, they got out of Egypt. There's Jerusalem. There were other great cities. Why not take them to a very beautiful city? Here's this no man's land, a place of antithetical to civilization. So two main reasons are given for it. Because when you want to experience truth, it has to be unadulterated, not affected by any glitz, by any external distractions. If we'd be in a beautiful place, the beautiful place would be somewhat of a backdrop, a prop. You want something pure? You don't want any distraction. The second reason is, because when you're giving truth, you don't want it to be controlled by any man-made entity. If it was given in any city, those dwellers would say, hey, you received it here, we want royalties. I'm not saying everyone would say it, but hypothetically, in a desert, there's nobody owns that. It's no man's land. <clears throat> so nobody can claim and say, this is our property. Truth 
does not belong to anyone. Whenever you hear a regime get up and say there's a Bureau of Truth and Information, you can rest, rest assured it's not true nor information. That's what all totalitarian regimes do. Well, establish a Bureau of Truth and Information. What they want to do is control minds and hearts. So you control the airwaves, you control the TV waves, the video, the visual waves, you control the printed material. Truth is the domain either of God or of each of us that was created in the divine image. You may need a teacher to help you un- recognize it, learn it, master it. But truth, you don't even master truth. It's truth emerges. By definition, truth is not somebody's truth. It's a truth of existence. It's a deeper reality. So essentially, the Sinai Desert, if you want to think about it, was a form of, I don't want to call it exactly quarantine, but it was a form of not being in any comfortable place, not being at home, not being at work, not being in a beautiful city or town, or anywhere that may, be, that may exude that, an arid desert, hot. And in this hot morning, 3,332 years ago, we don't even know what temperature it was. Nobody documented it because clearly the experience was more important than the, than, than the heat. They received this mandate that would change history, that changed their lives and changed civilization forever. It actually brought civilization to the world. And it happened in a very pure, quiet place. So where do you experience this? Where could you re-experience this in the best possible way? So I want to share an analogy. Analogy given by the Baal Shem Tov, whose actual yard site, his passing, is on Shavuos, as is King David's. So he gives a beautiful analogy on a verse in the book of Psalms. It says, Prayer of the pauper, the prayer to the pauper, the prayer of the pauper. And it says, he pours out his soul to the divine. And the Baal Shem Tev asks, why when you pray to God, are you like a pauper? Why not pray like an affluent person, like a wealthy person, like a prosperous person? Stand with pride. And he gives this analogy. Two people were invited to see the great, great king that nobody ever sees. Nobody has the, the opportunity to have a personal encounter, a personal audience with his great king. You meet his ministers, you meet his assistants, you meet his assistants' assistants, but never the king. One of them that was invited is a literate aristocrat, educated, well-informed, well-read, polished. The other is the exact opposite, a peasant illiterate, uneducated. And they both come to their appointment. First, the prosperous one, the educated one. He comes into a palace. He's never seen such a palace. He looks around. Beautiful works of art, collections of art, which he appreciates. He's a connoisseur. He studies the art. Then he sees the library. What books? Ancient books. All sorts, manuscripts. The sculptures, you name it. You can imagine the palace was filled with all kinds of wealth and all kinds of um, beautiful collections. He gets so absorbed in this fascination, you know what happens. He misses his appointment. Yeah. Comes subject number two. Illiterate, peasant, uneducated. He walks right through all these chambers. They mean nothing to him. And he walks right into the palace, into the inner antechamber, the inner chamber of the king, spends all the time with him, and learns much, and asks the king bless him that he should be able to appreciate all the king's wealth, and all that literature, and art, and music, and so on. Says the Baal Shem Tov, when you stand before God, suspend your literacy, suspend all your achievements. I'm not saying eliminate them, suspend them, put them aside, be like an innocent Beautiful child. And you'll be able to experience the highest levels of transcendence, of divine. If you bring yourself with some of your own skills or knowledge, beautiful, that makes you a great person. But you won't be open 
to really receive everything that's possible to receive because your own personality, your own achievements, your own aristocracy, your own, your own literate and sophistication can somewhat jade the picture. So this is not advocating illiteracy. It's just saying that all of us, even that wise person, suspend it. What, you, want, you want all the glitz and all the glitter? It's all beautiful. You can go straight to the source of it all. That's at Sinai. You can reach the Anoichi, the essence, which is what's called the essence. That's beyond matter and beyond spirit. Beyond immersion in this life of survival and beyond the transcendence. And when you touch that, everything is transformed because you've gone to the source. You haven't just gone to a subject of an expression of that divine essence. You've experienced it in its purest form. But there's a condition. The condition is you need to empty yourself. The emptier you are, in a good way, the more you can receive. So, you cannot help but think of the parallels. In the last few months, that's exactly what has happened to us. Our lives have been, in many ways, our outer lives, I should say, have been suspended or disrupted, upended. There's many different words you can use. Destabilized, unpredictable. Everything we thought that we can rely on. Now, we all hope and believe, and we am sure that it's going to go back. But that doesn't mean that we didn't have this epiphany. That doesn't mean we don't have this awareness of what life is like when some of, the, or some of that, if not all of it, is paused or put on hold. It's very similar to the experience of in the wilderness. They had nothing to rely on. They were completely vulnerable in a big, large desert, great, large desert. But that's where they experienced something that would change them forever and change the world forever. Those are the magical moments that change us. The moments when we put everything aside, our egos, our interests, our self-interest, then something, new things emerge. Are you able to do that? Am I able to do that? It's not always easy because we've gotten used to. We have our crutches. We have our props. We have our comfort zones. But Sinai challenges us. Let's get beyond that. Who are you stripped of all of that? And what you discover, nothing to be afraid of. You'll discover something that is amazing. It's going back to that place where you were a little child and, not, and you did not, did not have life's experiences yet under your belt. You weren't in any way impacted. It's just that purity, the pure you, the purest version of you. Now that doesn't mean we remain there. The point of it all is to take that purest you, the Sinai within you, and bring it into your routines, into your lives. So in many ways, the fact that we cannot celebrate and honor Sinai in the conventional way, in our synagogues and houses of worship, or even if yes, very limited, not like it was, gives us an opportunity of a lifetime to experience Sinai in its purest form. Bring Sinai home, because that's exactly what it was meant to be. Sinai was not meant to be a light and sound show to impress. It wasn't a fireworks display, even though there were fireworks. It was about reaching the hearts and souls of individuals. There's an expression that's used that the day of Sinai was the day of marriage between divine and existence. It's a day of marriage, a day of love, where heaven and earth meet. And where do they meet? You know where they meet? They meet right at your doorstep, right in your home, right in your life. It sounds almost overly simplistic, but you know, in this complex world where we built so many institutions, we have our workplaces, we have our entertainment places, we have our third spaces, we have our bookstores, we have our restaurants, we have our places of travel, points of destination that people call favorite destinations. Very often, all of that is a great sign of success and prosperity and affluence and the comforts of the world in which we live, traveling, 
access, but very often you can forget about the most important thing, which is the basic, raw, naked love that each of us deserves and each of us wants. All, our humble, our, all of us begin with a humble beginning in our mother's wombs. You don't have all those destinations. That's all that's necessary. The nurturing 24-7 for nine months in your mother's womb. We're born into a world, and there again, the umbilical cord has been cut, but now we're connected to our parents nurturing a home that's nurturing. Obviously, I'm describing the healthy version of it all. Somewhere something is aborted or something is compromised. It affects our self-confidence, our self-esteem, our sense of self. But just for a moment, let's go in a hypothetical. Everything is working perfectly. What is it you need? You need love. You need care. You need someone to give a vote of confidence that you can do it. That's the most healthy and most powerful thing you can give a child and a child needs. When we don't have that, we start looking for it elsewhere. And then we grow older and we start realizing there's a society and people have all kinds of different definitions of what is success. Some people say success is making more money than others. Success is having more possessions, traveling more. Success begins and ends. Most importantly, everything else is a means and a prop right here at home. So Sinai's objective was to transform an individual, a human being, to teach the human being that you have a soul, you have a spiritual mission in your life, you were sent here for a purpose. Your body is a vehicle to fulfill that soul, and they work hand in hand, the driver and the vehicle, the captain of the ship and the ship. That is the essence of your life. Everything else is an add-on. It can enhance it, it can make it easier, It could give it new dimensions. But imagine that you turn the means into an end. You forget about the Sinai at home and you start focusing on, oh, look what I have. I'm showing off here something I own. Do you think healthy children care how much we own? They care how much you care about them, how much you love them. We can convince them that if we own things, you'll be a happier person, but that's already, you're already programming them, conditioning them on your terms. So again, we're not taking away, in any way eliminating, the value of having those surface-level experiences. But what we have to focus on always is remember, that's a means and there's an end. There's a center, there's a hub. When it comes to a business You have a mission statement. Imagine the activities of the business begin dictating the mission statement instead of the mission statement dictating the business. You all have heard this. Anyone who's heard me speak, I always talk about, you ask somebody, who are you? They give you their business card. But that's not who you are. That's what you do. And some people will say, oh, sadly, what I do has become who I am. Your actions and your responsibilities have defined who you are, instead of who you are should be defining what you do. But we understand why sometimes we fall into jobs because we need a a livelihood. But at least think about it. Sinai is a wake-up call of your personal, indispensable mission in this world. Indispensable. There are many dispensable items. And they could be of value. But don't ever replace the means with the end or the end with the means. They both serve a purpose. The wise person walking into the palace, yes, literature and music and art and sculpture and everything, beautiful. But these are the props. These are the ornaments. It's like having a lot of jewelry and there's no person to wear them. How often have I heard the sad statement, my house, we had everything. One thing was missing, love. My parents were never home. So I had everything. I had nannies, whatever I wanted to eat and drink, whatever I wanted to watch, any gift, any toy, anything. But I didn't have one thing. My father and mother did not come home. She could have a palace, a most expensive mansion. And you walk into it, it seems like, wow. But if you don't have that, the heart and soul of it, that's what home is.
while back in this uh, stage of quarantine, I spoke about home. Rediscovering the center of your universe, it was called. You can check it out on MeaningfulLife.com. Look up that title. I'm not going to review or repeat what I said. I just want to bring up one point that I addressed there at length. <clears throat> what is the center of your universe? Center of your universe is, begins when you're a child completely at home. And home doesn't just mean the physical abode. It also means your parents, your nuclear family. It means your mother's womb. It means the nurturing, everything that's provided for you. And then we go out into the world. First you have a nest. A bird first needs a nest before it flies. What happens if you're flying and you lose, you lose your nest or you forget the importance of the nest? All this is bringing bring Sinai home. Back to where it was meant to be. Sadly, and I don't want to speak negatively, often when we go to our houses of worship, synagogue, shuls, that becomes almost a replacement for our Sinai experience. Oh, I'm going to the synagogue. I'm going to hear the Torah reading there. I'll say my prayers. I'll say Yisker. That's beautiful. We're told synagogues are a sacred place. It's a mini sanctuary. It's a mini temple. Migdash Ma'at. But sometimes we forget it becomes a social crutch, a social structure. I don't want to even use the word bureaucracy. Sometimes that as well. And it loses its soul to some extent. It becomes lip service. Prayers become lip service. Rituals become hollow actions. Now we have the opportunity to revisit it all and reclaim it as it was meant to be from the outset. A personal experience. You know, there were, they don't know the exact number, but there were probably a few million Jews stand, stood at Sinai, men, women, and children. The language used in the Ten Commandments is all in the singular. In Hebrew, when you speak to a group, you use a different word than when you speak to a person. When I say, how are you, that could be how are you, an individual. It could be you, a collective, a group. In Hebrew, if you speak to you, an individual, you say, shalom al you say lecha. In, in uh, plural, you say lachem. Interesting thing is most of the Torah, including the Ten Commandments, are in the singular. As if God was speaking to every individual separately. But there was a group. It should have said, kabed esavichem. Honor your parents as a, as a plur- in the plural. Or I am your God in the plural. Or do not steal in the plural. The answer is a beautiful, beautiful answer. It's one of those I've heard many years ago and always touched me then and always touches me. Because each individual, the narrative was their own personal one. It's as if no one else was standing there. You, know, you ever hear a speaker or read something? It doesn't matter if a million other people are there reading it or have read it before. It speaks to you. That's the secret to all real healthy communication. It speaks to me. It resonates. In the singular. So there may have been other people and they all felt it, but each one felt this was speaking to me and my, the relevance to my personal, tailored to my personal, emotional, psychological, and spiritual psyche. My unique person. That's a tremendous achievement. You can te- if you achieve that, the person then feels they, they, they'll own what you teach them. Because they feel the relationship with it, personal relationship, and you can and you and you can sure bet that one of the factors that helped that was there were no sideshows. It wasn't a city. Okay, we're going to sightsee here. It was in a desert. There was nothing else but you and your beloved. That's what home means. A real healthy home is where you have that. You can kick off your shoes. You're not in the hostile universe where you have to fight. Defend yourself. Always look over your shoulder. Who wants to exploit? Who wants to use you? A a healthy home. You come home. Ah. Fish in water. Completely comfortable. And interestingly, that's exactly what Sinai was meant to be. To create a home in this world for the divine. A home. So it begins the microcosm in our own home. Today, more than ever... 
we can reach this type of experience. You just have to apply yourself. My objective with this special program is to do exactly that, to give us the language, the mood, the vibe, the environment that you can create, whether it's yourself, whether you're on your own, or it's with a spouse, or family members, whoever it may be, this is the way to do it. Set your mind. The holiday begins on Thursday night. It goes two days. Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday. On Friday, the Ten Commandments are read. We may not be able to read it in a synagogue. That doesn't mean you can't read it at home. But personalize it. Bring Sinai home. Home means into your heart, into your soul. Personalize it. Set the stage and you can literally have a transformative experience. Now, we all wish it would have been in the regular, but that's not the case. So we dig deeper and we find this as an opportunity to experience ourselves in the purest form. It's in a way like saying, yes, my work is right now not in the same place as it was. I cannot go to my regular joints or regular uh, haunts or places where I would find entertainment or some comfort. I have to look inside here. And you'll be surprised. You don't be afraid of what you find. You'll find the most beautiful aspect. The you, the you that was chosen in the highest dimensions of the essence of all reality to be put here on this earth on a mission. You have something unique that you and only you can contribute. And this is the time where we renew our contract with the mandate that was given to us, the blueprint that was given to us. And it's interesting that so much of our lives is so much around the props, around the, the extensions, the ornaments, the, the adornments, everything that is not the essence of who you are. I like the analogy of the child because each of us was that child. Find a picture of yourself as a child and think about that person. They're right there in you. There's a lot has been added on, but that has not disappeared. And allow yourself to pray, to speak from your heart in that pure way. Undiluted, unadulterated, unjaded, unaffected by so much that's gone on in life. Let this disruption and this quarantine or semi-quarantine help us discover that part of ourselves that may have been concealed not just from others, but also from ourselves. And may this 2020 year turn into a true awakening and a true deeper awareness, a pandemic of goodness and kindness and unity, a pandemic of inner introspection, soul-searching, and discovering that beautiful you, who you are. And that should inform everything you do. Everyone have a very happy holiday. And now I want to just go over to the Yusker part of this program. And what's the connection to it all? My father passed away 15 years ago, in the year 2005. Probably the most definitive event of my life, emotionally. That doesn't take away from the beautiful events that I've had, family, children, marriages, and so on. But it uh, touches you at your core. It touches you at your core. And I've tried to analyze it because it's beyond analysis for many reasons. First of all, a parent is so much part of who you are even before you're conscious of it. The first thing, the, the, even before you remember your father holding your hand or your mother holding your hand when you're going to, with them to, to a store or just on the street. There's so many subconscious, unconscious, superconscious experiences. Part of your essence is like your foundation. So when that suddenly stops, and I'm not even getting to the tragedy, whether it's a person that's younger or older, obviously there are tragedies and there are tragedies, but that pauses, that shake, it shakes you up. Because your foundation, it's not just, it's the things that shaped you, that defined you. And it, uh, I remember vividly 
how at Shiva, when we were sitting Shiva morning for my father, <clears throat> you don't remember much in that whole whiz of activity, but one thing I remember, someone saying, when you lose someone you love, it's like someone has carved a hole in your heart. It's like a hole in your heart, like a hole in your living room, and you're going to be falling into it more than once. What changes? The hole doesn't go away because that loss is there, that lack is there. What changes is that you learn to walk around the hole in your living room. And you become stronger for it. I never forget that. In context of what we've been discussing, being connecting and communing with the souls of our loved ones is a very healthy, cleansing and purifying experience. Because you're suddenly, you're suddenly faced with a reality that is not material. We're so much of the material world, even though we're spiritual, has spiritual aspirations. I spoke about transcendence and going higher and higher. But at the end of the day, we walk and traverse this earth with our bodies, with our arms and our legs. And we experience these things through our sensory tools of sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. And yes, we can surmise and we can extrapolate and we can discover higher realities but there's nothing as tangible and concrete as what we see with our empirical tools in empirical fashion with our physical tools so when suddenly somebody you loved you cannot experience that it has impact yes you believe and know their soul is still there but the soul is not in its vehicle anymore it's not traveling with your vehicle so there's something about it that is very startling and disarming and unnerving because it's what you are so accustomed to. And, and, and it could just remain that or it could become an opportunity for deeper awareness. What is real? Why did you love your loved one? Because they have a beautiful face, their arms and legs, that may be part of it. You liked their look, their feel, their smell, their scent, their... But above all, it was their personality. It was something that wasn't tangible. It was the person you spoke to, the person you loved. It wasn't just a hollow, empty vessel, body. It was someone filled with life. Whatever that life was like, filled with personality, filled with vibrancy, with that spark, with that um, vivacity. So... Being physical entities, when you have memories of that, or you can envision it, but you don't have the ability to see it, to experience it, what it can do and should do, is as we say, the living shall take to heart. What do they take to heart? Not just take to heart that somebody was lost and be sensitive about the loss. You take to heart about another reality that wakes up to you. I remember when we stood up from Shiva and I was walking around the block with my sister. And it was like I said, do you think we're ever going to go back to normal? And we did. Of course we did. The door closes. But those moments, it was like the material world didn't have that same hold on you. It's like you've been fasting for days and days and you just have that lightness of spirit. The regular routines, your meals and other things just don't have that hypnotic and seductive power over you. But the door closes, I can assure you. But you don't forget. The hole is there. And you can reconnect with it. This is what we do at Yisker. So Yisker is, yes, we're remembering our loved ones, but we're also remembering of another reality, a higher reality. And I cannot help the parallel. As we have been stripped of so many of our comfort zones and our material schedules and plans and summer plans and travel and theater and sports, so many things that we were part of this, engaging this material world have been disrupted, have been definitely postponed to some extent. So it could also be very unnerving or it can be a wake-up. What is real? So on the holiday, if you're able to, and obviously following all the guidelines, you go to synagogue and you say the Yisker, the prayer book. We give something charitable in honor of our loved one. We mention their name and their mother's name, whether it's a father or a mother, 
We also mention all those that were taken from us, whether it was in the Holocaust or other ways that died, sanctifying God's name. And we connect it with a charitable donation, which again demonstrates the bridge between matter and spirit. You don't just say, okay, I'll do good deeds or I'll just remember you. You want to channel that experience. So Sinai is one of the perfect times for that. We do it four times a year. Yom Kippur, of course. Last days of Passover. Last day of Passover, the last day of Sukkot, Shemini Atzeret, and on the second day of Shavuot, Shavuos. So it's experiencing the sublime and bring it back to our reality. So it's interesting, Shavuos, Yisker, and quarantine in the age of Corona. We'll always remember it, but let's make it memorable in a way that's so powerful. Because in a way, we all are a little more spirit now that the material world has a little less hold on us. It's seductive, it's hypnotic power is not as intense. I know many of us are addicted and we can't wait to get back to it. But you've seen that you could exist without a restaurant for a night or more than one night. You could exist without a baseball game. And I'm not saying those are bad things. But is that defines you? Is that the only thing that defines you? So it's a special time, special way of connecting with the souls of our loved ones. And of course, our hearts and prayers go out to those that passed during this time. They should have the family, should have strength. Those that still need healing should have complete healing. This holiday is also about healing. At Sinai, everybody was healed. And the memory, not just the memory, the spiritual reality of our loved ones should continue to give us strength as we remember them. And we recreate their experiences in our lives and perpetuate their legacies. As we remember the lives and legacies of our loved ones during Yisker, actually Yisker means to remember, the custom, the age-old custom, is to actually mention the names of our loved ones. A name carries the essence of their lives. So in that spirit, as a pre-Shvuas Yisker program, I'm going to actually mention the names of the loved ones of many of our friends. We mentioned the name of the person, the name of their mother. So I have the honor now to do that solemn act. Each name carries a life, an inestimable life. Everything that person stood for and beyond and everything that loved one stood for in our lives. So it's a profound connection, an eternal spiritual connection. So please. Yaffa ben David passed May 28, 1988, dedicated by Mark Perlman. Kalman ben Leibish Halevi passed May 29, 2001, dedicated by Debbie Horowitz. Isaac ben Rika passed on 25th of year, dedicated by Jacqueline Tarmont. Judas Bas Ruth, passed on June 10th, 2019, dedicated by Jenny Basian. Yeshayahu Bas Bluma, passed on 8th of year, dedicated by Mark Foreman. Paul Psachia Stuart Hornreich, passed on November 13th, 2006, dedicated by Dina Hornreich. Jim Staley, passed on December 18, 2018, dedicated by Pam Staley. Jason Scott Staley, passed on September 24, 2017, dedicated by Pam Staley. Jack, passed on January 3, 2019, dedicated by Gloris Deneau. Jacob Katz, passed on September 9th, 2005, dedicated by Olga Katz. Charna Schmidt, passed on April 13th, 2019, dedicated by Olga Katz. Alexander Schmidt, passed on December 21st, 1995, dedicated by Olga Katz. Moshe Ben Rachel, Moshe Ariel, passed on the 5th of year, dedicated by Afira Yayish. 
Azri ben Mazel, passed on the 4th of Nisan, dedicated by Ophira Yesh. Denise Edith Batsara, passed the month of El, dedicated by Sarah Kremnitzer. Pesach Leib ben Pesi Gittel, dedicated by Masha Fraunhofer. Aaron ben Moshe Hakoyen, 25th of Nissen, dedicated by Sonia ben Harosh. Meshel ben Leia, passed on the 21st of Ear, dedicated by Liba Lisa Handler. Corner Maguire Bas Tracy, dedicated by Andrew Hebert. Miriam Leia Bas Yisrael Nissen Soifer, passed on the 8th of Shvat, dedicated by Judith Kirk. Charlotte, dedicated by Beth. Ruchel Bas Anna, passed on the 2nd of Tishrei, dedicated by Andrea Bracha Bluma Bas Ruchel Silvi. Moshe Aaron Ben Yehudis, dedicated by Merrill Hassman. Yecheskel Ben Sarah, dedicated by Merrill Hassman. Eliezer Ben Sarah, dedicated by Merrill Fraunhofer. Yehudis Bas Sarah, dedicated by Merrill Fraunhofer. Anna Stewart, dedicated by Gail Toland. Liba Bas Yehudis, dedicated by Merrill Hassman. Leib Ben Chaya Anna, dedicated by Merrill Fraunhofer. Leib Ben Eliezer, dedicated by Merrill Hassman. Ruven Ben Asna, the 20th of Marcheshvan, dedicated by Malka Litzman. Susan Brickman, passed on the 13th of Sivan, dedicated by Shoshana Brickman. Felix Feivel Mendelssohn, dedicated by Esther. Salvatore Carmen Oriema and Florence Basta, dedicated by Donna Schnatz. Margaret Mary Barra and Mary Barra, dedicated by Donna Schnatz. Israel Shmuel Ben Arya Leib, 28th of Kislev, dedicated by Joyce the Voice. Eder Richel Bas Chana, 5th of Tavis, dedicated by Joyce the Voice. Rivke Bat Yaakov, dedicated by Bobby Shachat. Brona Bat Sipporah Avram, 5th of Kislev, dedicated by Sandra Waxwasser. Ephraim Meir Ben Rivke Vidov, passed in ear, dedicated by Sandra Waxwasser. Malka Bas Yaakov, the first of Sivan, dedicated by Catherine Beitner. Mindel Shena Bad Devora, dedicated by Florence Hanna. Mordechai Ben Lazer, dedicated by Florence Hanna. Shlomo Ben Yeshua, dedicated by Richard Reiser. Freda Bad Beryl, dedicated by Richard Reiser. Rivileya Bad Devora, dedicated by Devora Block. Sarah Miriam Bat Kiku Matsumoto, dedicated by Dorothy Reiser. Tuvia ben Yitzchak, dedicated by Dorothy Reiser. Yitzchak ben Yaakov, dedicated by Devora Devra Block. Gershon ben Freda, the 20th of year, dedicated by Simon Jacobson. Meir ben Avram, Olava Shalom. Genya ben Yefsel, Olava Shalom. Miriam Masha, Olava Shalom. Bad Bracha Sheyichia, dedicated by Boris Kalander. Stuart Nelson, December 23rd, 1999, dedicated by Rochelle Nelson. Chana Lat- Latovitsky, May 17, 2018, dedicated by Shoshana Latovitsky. Larisa Chayastikov, December 22, 2008, dedicated by Olga Katz. Yisrael Ruven Ben Chava, Hinde Bas Chana Chaya, Mordechai Leiba Ben Breina, Chana Bas Sara, Yehuda Ben Rochel, Breina Bas Rochel, dedicated by Neil Edelstein. Alexander Katz, December 27, 2008, dedicated by Olga Katz. Fruma Brown Silverman, March 13, 2013, dedicated by Linda Silverman. Schleima Wolf Silverman, May 5, 2010, dedicated by Linda Silverman. Simcha Ben Fruma Manya, the second of year, dedicated by Eileen Epstein Ignadio. Eleanor Dorothy Bat Mamey, 24th of seven, dedicated by Hannah Kogan. Rabbi Yisrael Azriel, Eliezer ben Rab Moshe Duvid, 2nd of Sivan, dedicated by Judith Englard. Yaakov Latovitsky, August 10th, 2018, dedicated by Shoshana Latovitsky. Yitzchak ben Rezel, 21st of Shvat, dedicated by Andrea Bracha Blumenbass Ruchel Silvi. Louis ben Devora, 
a fifth of Tavis, dedicated by Betty. Harry and Molly Newmark share, dedicated by Sue Emil. May their memories be for a blessing. May all of us, especially their children and loved ones, continue their legacies, perpetuating it, as we discussed, bringing heaven down to earth, the soul into a body, in transforming this universe. Everyone have a very good holiday. Connect to your soul, connect to your identity, and to the mandate that was given to us that helps us bridge heaven and earth. So where does heaven meet earth? It meets right at your doorstep of your home, at your, in your heart, in your soul, in your family, in your individuality. Everyone be blessed. This has been Simon Jacobson. Meaningfullife.com is our website. You can find an array of resources, especially addressing the challenges of our time. And we're here every Wednesday. This is a Wednesday live program. We have many other programs throughout the week, more than ever doing, doing during this uh, crisis. May be strong, be healthy, and may we all celebrate together only good occasions, bridging soul and body, fusion of heaven and earth, of matter and energy, into a, a glorious conclusion of history where we live in a world, a material world, that is saturated with spiritual, transcendent aspirations. In the words of Maimonides, a world where the main primary, primary work will be to know the divine. In the words of Isaiah that he cites, there will be no longer destruction, no longer evil and destruction, because the world will be filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. Thank you very much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.